the wave is here, uh-huh. right? So either you ride it, either you ride the wave of like legal technologies, or you just drown. This is the Law School Show, discovering the person behind the resume, bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now on the Law School Show. And welcome back. This is part two of my discussion with Selena Lucian, the founder of the Small Claims Wizard. In part one, we explored what Selena hopes to achieve with the wizard. In this episode, we shift focus to the world of legal technology, how it's already changing uh, business models in the legal industry, and some of the exciting projects that are on the horizon. So why don't we dive right back in? Okay, so we've already touched a bit on uh, the innovation hubs in Toronto, Mars, and uh, the Legal Innovation Zone the hubs that are responsible for a number of legal tech startups. So I'd like to expand now on legal tech and discuss it more broadly and maybe flesh out some of your views mm-hmm. on the subject. So first up, you write code. Mm-hmm. First, what does this mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how did it all happen? Why? And how has it served you? And how can it serve other people? So my kind of the outset or the beginning of my love of programming was when I was in grade six and I was encouraged by a teacher to attend a workshop on visual basics programming which is on excel super basic Mm. um, at a public library so the moment I wrote my first line of code I was completely hooked right like I was able to kind of like the upshot of this experience was realizing that I had the power to control my own method of learning and what seemed like in a superhuman way, I could create something from nothing. So that's kind of like my first exposure to it. And unfortunately, when I got to high school, um, all girls high school, such opportunities for women to pursue kind of STEMs outside of like doing science and maybe go to, going to med school didn't exist in my high school. Okay. Um, so it is something that I've always been interested in. It is something that I see great value in because you do um, develop an iterative approach to solving problems. And once you kind of get into that type of mindset, the world looks very different to you. And kind of being able to build things, deconstruct them, and have them kind of... And and being super detail-oriented and deconstructing you know, whether it's like the process of the small claim, like the small claims score, like what are the steps that are need to take and what are the different right. pages that need to speak to each other, right? Like you're building, like you're completely involved in constructing something. And I think when you, when you, when you write code, it's kind of like God's way of telling you how difficult it is to be God, basically. That's right? an interesting analogy. Yeah. <laughs> like you're creating something and you're using a certain language to do that. Right. And every small mistake can result in a syntax error. So you're forced to go back uh-huh. and find that mistake. And through that process, you learn so much. So I've kind of always been fascinated by that entire process. So as a result, like it's always been in the back of my mind. So, it, you know, when I did witness the problem, when when I worked at the as a court reporter, yeah. kind of the first thing, kind of the most intuitive thing came was like, how can technology solve this? Right. I mean, people aren't solving it. Uh-huh. So what if technology does? But again, technology is created and by the people and and so forth. But nonetheless, it's kind of that conditioning is what kind of led me 
to this point. So do you think it's the responsibility of legal professionals to address and, and rectify uh, the challenges and the inefficiencies in, in their profession? Or do you think this is a role better suited for individuals or you know, government entities for that matter outside of the legal profession? So I guess my question is um, to tackle these challenges. Do you need people who understand what it's like to be in that world or is uh, the person who's better equipped to solve these problems the one with an objective vantage point, someone from the outside looking in? Okay. I think that the initial motivation for a lot of individuals who do decide to proceed with law school is because they, they believe that by going and, and studying law, they will be kind of the beacons of just, justice, these bastions of administrating justice. So when you enter a, a, a legal profession, from what I understand, you are there to serve the people, right? Like you're there to serve and improve the quality of the future. Right. Yeah, that's as, our, as, as, as lawyers. That's our professional responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I can like volley this question to you since you do have a law degree. Um, do you think, do you personally feel a responsibility to rectify, let's say, let's just be specific, access to justice issues as someone with a law degree? Do you feel like a sense of responsibility? Absolutely. And I think, um, and I can only speak for myself, it, it, it comes from within, like it's inherent. Um, Yes, it's, we're operating in this system where we're benefiting from it by earning, um, you know, a living. And it's clear that there are problems there that need to be addressed. So it is incumbent on the professionals benefiting from, benefiting from the system mm -hmm. to, at the very least, turn their mind to it. And one way that I think professionals can, can tackle this problem you know, you don't necessarily have to come up with the small claims wizard, but uh, if you take it upon yourself to make your practice efficient, um, taking advantage of these technologies that are present such that you can pass on the cost savings to your clients, um, that's one way you can do it, right? At the end of the day, you know, the, the cost of legal services are exorbitant. Not a lot of people can afford lawyers. So again, it's, it's on you, just like any other business, mm -hmm. you want to be as efficient as possible so you can, number one, provide the best quality service to your clients and you want to make it as affordable as possible. I mean, you, you've always the question to me, access of justice. Um, but another issue, like part of the reason why I participate in this podcast and we were discussing this earlier is because I feel that there's a gap in information that is trickling through to people who want to enter the legal profession. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they really don't know what it's like when you come out of law school or when you finish articling or you get called to the bar uh, or, or while you're in law school you really don't know what it's like. So our goal, our purpose of this, of this podcast is to speak with people who are out there in the profession whether they're lawyers, whether they're entrepreneurs in the legal tech space, mm -hmm. whether they have alternative careers is we want to explore these different areas, ask, uh, ask questions that will get the right types of information, mm -hmm. and then we want to distribute that to as many interested people as possible. Mm -hmm. And that way, people who want to be in the profession or are already working towards being a lawyer or a legal professional can just be more fully informed of what their decision, like 
of what their decisions are going to be. So that's how, as a legal professional, I take on that role. Mm-hmm. Did I answer your question? Yeah, no, you did answer <laughs> my question. But I think at the same time, um, there's a certain responsibility that you have as someone with that legal training, mm-hmm. at least how I would feel if, if I did um, you know, obtain legal education. I would feel a sense of duty of course. and obligation to really not just... I mean, I've been trying to solve ambitiously, like I've said before, access to justice problem from the outside. But uh-huh. like now you're within. Now you're in that community. Now you're part of the system. Right. And I think kind of like my my point, at least I hope to get across by participating in this podcast, uh-huh. is that all these actors that are at play, whether it's the government, whether it's the legal professional, whether it's the outsiders, technologists, etc., they can participate together for yes right yes. there's like no one party right. who can like I, it, the burden shouldn't be just on the legal professionals the burden should, should be on the government uh it's 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 kind of like a multi multi-party attempt uh-huh. to address a problem that affects everyone because it bleeds on to the economic system uh-huh. right it bleeds on to kind of the healthcare system there's so many healthcare problems from r- related to stress as a result of issues from not having access to legal services. There's tons of studies. Right. If you look at the book by um, Access to Justice, edited by um, Michael Treblecock from University of Toronto Law. Okay. They include tons of studies in there that show that problems with access to justice creates uh, mental health issues. Right. It's responsible, not necessarily the only cause. Of course, But, yeah. uh, you know, an, an important contributing factor to mental health problems. Uh-huh. Um, and... You know, if we have individuals who are super stressed out and, you know, are, are having uh, mental health issues as a result of the stress from their court case, uh-huh. then they can't go to work. Right. If they're not going to work, then they're not contributing to the economy and then their family mm. unit breaks down. So everything is really interrelated. So what I want to tell to your podcast listeners is that you can participate and engage right. with technologists, with designers, with developers, and with whatever skills you bring to the table to push the boundaries and drive positive change of the legal system. And I also want to emphasize that the role of technology isn't to displace or disrupt the legal professionals. Right, okay. Right? That, that's kind of like not the role of technology. To it's, aid it, right? Yeah, it's, it's there to strengthen the relationship between the people and the legal system, right? It, it's kind of like a means to an end. Right. It's not there to like replace legal professionals like there's mm-hmm. only so much again technology can replace and solve right. so yeah so if you, anyone could be an active participant in the trajectory towards legal innovation and no one should be discouraged because you're an outsider or an insider okay. there's various resources and tools that are available to include you in the process as long as you have great ideas as long as you're a graceful hustler you can make it happen Okay, that's great. Like, uh, I couldn't agree more with uh, with everything that we just discussed. It's uh, it's certainly incumbent on the professionals who are operating in the space, uh, but it's also open to, I don't want to use the word outsiders, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, it's people who are, again, uh, they're looking into the profession and they're just, uh, you know, they just might have a different lens. That you can also work as mentors, right? right? Like, you, right. you know how the system works because you as you know as a legal professional uh-huh. you know the ins and the outs you know the right people 
so kind well, I'm of, getting there, but not quite. Yeah, yeah I, I get, I get <laughs> your point. You, yeah, you can provide mentorship. Like if I needed help with a certain issue related to the access to justice space, I could uh -huh. reach out to you. And, and by helping me, you're also part of that positive change, part of solving the problem. Absolutely. I couldn't so, agree more. Yeah. Well, that's so awesome. Every player is important. I don't even know how to like, that was such a loaded, uh, <laughs> it's a great question, question yeah. that I don't even know, like, I'm probably have to end with that. Uh, cause then it's like, well, do you know of any other legal tools that are out there? But we've, uh, you mentioned one already. Did I? There's, there's this new one. Oh, you just said the e-file. Yeah. E-filing system. I don't know if I'm a fan of it. Hmm. Are you a fan of any other ones? So there is there is one legal tech tool that I'm a little bit obsessed with because I I just think it's brilliant idea. Okay, um, tell us about it. Sure, it's called Judicata. So it's J U D I C A T A, and basically, kind of like one of the features that it offers that I find super awesome is that it takes data about how the law has been applied in the past, analyzes it, and it, with its algorithm is able to tell you how legal arguments about you, your particular case will fare in the future. So if, let's say, um, if you have a, an IP case and certain judge or in the past, the, this is how the arguments have fared in court, it would be able to tell you how successful your arguments will be based on that data currently available. Okay. And, and who, who is this meant for? Is this meant for uh, the litigant, the, the, the client, or, or for law is, can lawyers use it? Too? Oh, this is, this is for, um, for lawyers, right? Okay. So um, the, the whole point of the software, from what I understand, is like instead of lawyers having to spend time analyzing information, uh, gathering information, the okay. technology is able to save time and yeah. energy from the lawyers by analyzing the in in information about a certain case, organize it, make sense of, or like make inferences based on the information available that will allow the lawyer to make better legal decision, better legal decisions. Okay, so it seems to me then that this is a, correct me if I'm wrong, a legal research tool. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, so they have a case before them. They're going to be arguing it. And, I mean, what's, what's the output? What does is, what is the what is the program spit out? Is it, uh, is it a summary? Is it, uh, I guess I'm not too clear on that. Yeah, so the, the kind of the core of Judicata is to develop a search platform that makes sense of legal precedent. Yeah. So it's not like exactly a, a prediction machine or engine because every legal case is unique. Of course. But it will be able to help attorneys better play the odds. Interesting. So they've actually gotten millions of dollars in funding. And I, I mean, I'm signed up for beta mm -hmm. um, and I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing what it's all about, how it plays out, because it is... It is kind of challenging LexisNexis and right. Westlaw, okay. um, but it is offering a very um, kind of like a, a different tool from what the older search right. tools right. offer. And it'll be interesting to see how LexisNexis mm -hmm. and how Westlaw and Canly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what the reaction is to this particular tool. Are they going to try and 
emulate it? Are they going to try and use some of the, you know, certain features or aspects that it has and incorporate it? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it'll just be interesting to see what happens, I guess. Yeah. So I'll give you another example, which is really cool. So let's say you're looking for differences between similar cases in which a plaintiff was male or a plaintiff was female. Okay. And the best way to do it is like you go through books, you spend hours taking notes and like trying to find the similarities and the differences and the parallels. Right. Right. But what Judicata does is organizes and makes sense of all that data so you don't have to do it yourself. Interesting. That yeah. sounds incredibly complicated and I can't even frankly wrap my head around because there's so many different nuances and points of right? difference. Yeah. Where do you, yeah. yeah. And, and to have, I mean, that's what, again, that's what lawyers are trained to do. Uh, and it's just hard for me to conceptualize all that training being in a artificial intelligence and in a computer program that kind of, yeah. uh, itemizes and categorizes, you know, different factors in a particular case. And I know we're speaking very generally yeah. about like a case. There yeah. are so many different factors that would, that are relevant to a family law case, mm -hmm. uh, that would, you know, and then there'd be so many other different factors that are mm -hmm. relevant to an intellectual property case. Um, so that is super, that is super interesting and yeah. can be, uh, I think it's supposed to complement the legal training, right? Right. So right. if you're a lawyer, you probably are more intelligent than the machine at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Like you really are. Perhaps the machine can do a, a faster job at like retrieving certain types of information, but like right. a human brain is still at a different certain cognitive level mm -hmm. where you, you can account for the nuances. The machine can't account for the nuances. Right. So and it's supposed to kind of supplement the two strengths. That makes sense. I, I would think. Because yeah. I don't think uh, it would be in a lawyer's interest to rely solely on technology to do their job. Assist. Right? Be facilitate. Exactly. Because yeah. they have a responsibility Partner. to be yeah. comprehensive. Um, and, you know, like like you said, there, there could be things that uh, a computer program would miss. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know... Again, the role of the lawyer is to make sure they're comprehensive and to make sure that everything is picked up. And this potentially could be a way uh, just to make that happen faster. Yeah. So how do you respond to the criticism that the adoption of legal tech tools is too risky and that it will eventually supplant the vital role that legal experts traditionally play? I think you've kind of already touched on this, mm -hmm. but maybe you can uh, expand. I mean, there's winners and losers in any form of innovation. Right. right. There's people who benefit and there's people who, I, I don't want to say lose, but would have to recalibrate. Okay. Right? Because when I was at Future of Law Conference at Stanford, kind of like one of the speakers said, I mean, the wave is here. Uh -huh. Right. So either you ride it, either you ride the wave of like legal technologies or you just drown. Right. I mean, and I, I guess like recognize that it's there. Right? It's not going away. And just away. deal with it. Yeah. Right. So either you can, uh, I mean, if you want to, if you want to be very intelligent about this, you can totally just benefit, find the tools that work best for you right. and improve your practice, mm -hmm. right? If, if, if something can save you time, money and energy and, and bring more profit to your firm, which that you can pay your lawyers and pay everyone else who's working for your company or business or firm right there's nothing wrong with that it's all a matter of like how you strategize and how you use these innovations uh -huh. in your interest so instead of seeing it as something that's risky and like supplanting the vital role that legal experts play no one's going to supplant the vital role that experts play 
that's not that's not going away. Legal experts are still going to be legal. No one's going to replace them. Right. They're just going to have different tools and methods by which that will f- facilitate their legal expertise. Okay. So that's my prediction. I mean, you you might be suspicious. You might be kind of like hands-offish because right. you're not used to this because this is kind of like a new and emerging kind of wave, but it's here and right. it's staying and you got to ride it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this would open up another discussion, but one of the things that I spoke about with Shane Murphy of Law Scout, uh, which is another, um, which is another legal tech startup coming out of Mars, was this issue of, um, I guess, more senior lawyers not being as enthusiastic about adopting new technologies because, uh, generally speaking, the billing model for lawyers is is hourly, the, the billable hour. And it is uh, more profitable to be inefficient. To be inefficient, spend mm-hmm. more time. Um, and, and again, it's it would be contrary to a lawyer's professional obligation mm-hmm. to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is a reality. Like yeah. it, you know, the more time you spend on a matter, um, you, you can only you can justify mm-hmm. you can only justify so much. Yeah. But again, um, you're paying for a lawyer's. The model that is in place now, the prevailing model, is you are paying for a lawyer's time because the there are so many different options and so many different uh, ways that, uh, let's say, litigation can go. It's very hard to predict. And mm-hmm. I guess that's the argument coming from the other side yeah. is that it's it's too risky for us because we don't, we, we don't know how much uh, a, a particular matter is going to cost. And then the lawyer potentially is going to be the one eating the cost if they miscalculate that quote or that estimate to the client. Do you know what my response to that is? That's what I'm asking. Your client is going to go to a law firm who's not going to do that to them. Very simple. If I know that I can go to a different firm who Mm -hmm. has the tools to cut costs, why why would a rational agent not go to that firm? Why would I stay with you? Right. I like your shoes. I like your suit. No. If other firms are... there's, There's this institutional isomorphism right like there are certain once certain firms start to adopt everybody else is going to follow right that's i think it's with, happening it's yeah, happening that's, that's now what happened with investment banks when it came to this whole concept of csr right like as soon as goldman sachs jp morgan started you know adopting and then publishing corporate social responsibility reports and so right. forth all of a sudden everybody was doing it right so that's i mean the wave is here so if your firm wants to operate like in an old-fashioned, less right. inefficient way, uh-huh. your customers and your clients are going to leave you. That's the reality you're facing. They don't have to stay with you. You're not offering anything that significantly different with right. your service than another firm can with a different billable model. So ride the wave or drown. That's my, <laughs> that's my no, response. No, that's good. This is, I mean, this is yeah. what I wanted to... These are the types of responses that I wanted to evoke because yeah. I'm the simply... Right, right. And I guess you just answered my next question, which is what will convince today's legal professionals to adopt such tools. So thank you for being efficient in that regard. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) All about efficiency. Yeah. Um, Okay. Do you have any predictions on emerging legal tech tools? Mm -hmm. I think that... Or particular, I mean, mm -hmm. you don't have to have a complete idea in your head, but like where are potential opportunities? Yeah, potential opportunities. 
I would say to innovate. To innovate. So I, kind of the example I, I would think of specifically for Ontario is child support. Okay. Right? So there's a lot of issues in terms of how do you facilitate child support payments um, or kind of like the whole legal process around that. Okay. So if you can improve and make it less acrimonious mm-hmm. and improve the experience for the both parties, I think that's a space that definitely could be tapped into. Okay, great. So I think we've covered a lot of ground. We, we've got to know a bit about your background. Um, we learned about the ins and outs of how the small claims wizard works and how it all came to be. And we've had a chance to discuss issues mm-hmm. in legal tech. Mm-hmm. So to close things out, um, you know, I had a few more questions. I feel that innovative ideas are only possible when an individual has a ton of source material. Mm-hmm. Now, you being an innovator, who or what was your inspiration? Or is your inspiration? Um, Okay, so I want to mention a mentor who has, kind of my moments of doubt, has really supported me and encouraged me and connected me to the resources and the materials and the literature um, to give me the confidence to keep moving forward. And that person is Aaron Solomon. Okay. So one of the founders and directors of the Legal X Cluster at Mars. Right. Um, he has been a constant and a real source of inspiration for me because when you're in this space, you can't do it alone. Of course. I mean, there's only so, so far um, you can get by rejecting certain kind of like kind of rebelling and, yeah. and the establishment status quo. But when you have people who believe in your idea... Right. And, are, and you are willing to reach out to them and show them that you care. And Aaron has been one of those individuals. It has really kind of like ignited and, and motivated me to continue with this project. Um, and other uh, kind of sources of like, in- inspiration for me have been uh, a lot of women who are in the space. Okay. Who kind of set an example and, and represent certain ideas and opportunities that I know are possible for me. When you don't have role models and examples, it's very difficult for you to believe that, like, what you're trying to done. accomplish. Yeah, like, whether whether it could be done. Right. And when you see that someone who kind of might face similar types of barriers uh-huh. as you, being successful, solving problems, being confident, not doubting themselves, like, it, it like gives you that inspiration as well. Okay. Did you uh, did you have uh, anyone in particular in mind? Not someone in the kind of like the legal tech space, but No, just any I mean, you just mentioned inspirational yeah. female so, figures yeah. who have had to uh, overcome run obstacles. businesses, yeah. you know, being male dominant spaces. Yes, I, I there there's one a very intelligent, lovely, super supportive woman and her name is Annie. Annie Jolie. Okay. Hotoyan Jolie. And she has been like super source of inspiration for me because there are moments where I have to go into a meeting or I, there's a certain way I want to present myself in certain spaces, right? And like, what do you do? There's, you don't get training for this stuff. There's like, it's not like in high school and university, they tell you if you're going to like a VC meeting, right. this is what you wear, this is how you dress, this is how you respond. Right. Or if you're going to pitch your ideas, like you don't get that type of training. You, you get that training in life. Right. So to have someone to bounce these ideas off of, to kind of give you that assurance and reinforcement mm-hmm. has also been super helpful and informative 
for me in terms of how I move forward. And Annie has been that source of motivation as well. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And all the other top women in history who have like been yes, trailblazers, yes. like Ada Lovelace, who was like one of the first computer programmers, Grace Hopper, um, and I can just, the list goes on and on and on, who don't get the acknowledgement that they should be getting. Um, and I want to give them a shout out because I, I do think about them and their experiences only motivate me more. So. Okay, great. Well, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like push you a little further. Okay. Give me some more names so the people who are listening can research these people. Yeah, so um, one, well, there's so many, but, mm-hmm. you know, given our limitation with time, yeah. um, Dr. Alexa Kunig from UC Berkeley, the, the Human Rights Center there, her work has been super, super fascinating, um, where they're using technology to um, improve and facilitate uh human rights advocates and obtaining certain evidence, which then, can, which then can be used in international criminal court. Okay. Um, and I mean, her work, I mean, she's, she's won awards for, for the work she's doing there and she's super inspirational. And I've had the privilege of meeting her twice when I was in California awesome. and she inspires me a hundred percent. Okay. Um, and, and the other woman I just want to give shout outs to is Anne-Marie Pretko, uh, who used to work at the ministry. Um, of attorney general's office oh, okay yeah she worked with court services she too has done awesome awesome work in that space okay. dara nevin from e-discovery okay um and uh i gotta give a shout out to justice ruth uh bader ginsburg okay um actually a recent book came out called notorious rbg and she has been a huge like a, a beacon for like women's rights and just looking at her legal career and the things she's managed to do for women, nothing short of inspiration. So, I mean, I can, I can list more, but I know that you want to probably end this podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. This is great. This is great. Okay. So, what's on the horizon for you? What, what, where do you see yourself? Uh, like, do you have a vision of, of the role that you're going to be taking on, whether it be in the legal profession or, you know, trying to improve it? Yeah. So... In terms of what's on the horizon for me, I want to continue to use my skill sets in, in, in technology to improve the quality of the future of the legal system and the legal space. Okay. So whether that means being a legal professional to do that. Okay. I mean, my, my desire, motivation has been I mean, at this point, I've been an outsider trying to make a difference. Perhaps what's on the horizon for me is being an insider um, and being able to really affect change from within. So Awesome. And um, I think you had mentioned to me that you were were preparing an article. Um, You're going to have to remind me of the details Mm -hmm. uh, because when it's released, I mean, it'd be great if people can check it out on legal tech. Oh, yes. So I'm currently working on a piece on how um, technology, kind of questioning the role of technology in improving access to legal services and kind of like how technology is reconfiguring the relationship between law and society. So it is a short piece that I am currently working on. It's not complete yet. And 
Um, I have a few opportunities in different spaces where to publish, so okay. it hasn't fully been confirmed. Well, when you do find out when it is finished, it'd be great if you could update us so we can update our listeners and they can check it out. Yeah, for sure. Great, for sure. great. So, do you have any literature recommendations, aside from your own, on uh, law and technology? So, one very interesting source I could offer is the Code X group meetings that are hosted at Stanford Law School. Um, every Thursday, they bring in key trailblazers, thought leaders, innovators, techies, engineers in the legal tech space. And if you can't physically be present at these meetings to learn from these individuals, be inspired and so forth, you could actually sign up for their mailing list and it can provide you a certain dial in certain instructions for you to directly be involved in that meeting. Okay, that sounds so, pretty cool. Yeah, so check out yeah. Codex, Stanford Law School, and just uh, sign up on their mailing list, and you'd be able to kind of really engage with that community. And, I mean, I've participated in, in it every Thursday, and I only come out of it learning more. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, there we have it. I think, uh, I think that concludes the episode. We've uh, covered quite a bit of ground. And uh, on behalf of the Law School Show, all our listeners, we really want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us and sharing your ideas. We really appreciate it. Uh, it was a great episode, and we wish you the best. Thank you so much. And I really hope that I hope my story and journey with a small claims wizard inspires some of your listeners to take the risk and maybe mm-hmm. seek out problems or puzzles, social puzzles, that they can solve themselves and be inspired to do that. I hope you all enjoyed my discussion with Selena as much as I did. Once again, if you want to investigate the wizard further, you can check it out on the webpage at uh, smallclaimswizard.com. So listeners, my hope in introducing Selena to you is that she could be a source of inspiration. She used her skill and creativity to tackle a a very complex problem in our industry with a cool piece of software that she developed with the help of others, of course. She's trying to move the ball further down the field to help ordinary people. And that's something. Her effort should be acknowledged and commended. She certainly inspired me. So this is Marco Filiumeni signing off for the Law School Show. Ciao. like what you've just heard and would like to hear more.